John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, and there's 41 verses here in this chapter. So I'm going to get started reading. If you're still flipping there, just pick up where we, uh, when you get there. John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but, it is, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to you, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and, sent, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of a God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man, or man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
They answered him, You were born in utter sin and would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Um, The eye, the physical eye, is one of the most complex parts of the human body. Now, I don't really have a huge grasp on human biology, but the eye is something that's always fascinated me and something that seems to be an incredible work of a creator God that's right there. There's two of them right right in our heads. And there's something unique about the sense of sight. There's something unique about God giving us sight, physical sight, to see and observe the world the world around us. There's, all of these things are going on, and again, I don't really understand human biology all that well, but, but converting light energy into electrical energy or something like that, firing um, all of these things into our brain so that our mind can interpret what's going on around us as light reflects off various objects. It's all incredibly complex and all in, in points directly to, to a creator God. And all of this intricate components working together give us this sense of what's going on around us. One of our five senses, but one that is dramatically unique. It's also interesting to me how in our language, in the English language, we use sensory language to describe things that cannot be physically sensed. This is an interesting, I think, language phenomenon, and if you're an English nerd like me, then that's exciting. Um, So sensory language, we use this all of the time, To say, if someone tells us something that we haven't previously known, we say, well, I see. Or, um, I hear what you're saying. Indicating that we have some kind of understanding of what's going on uh, or what's being told uh, to us. Additionally, here's an example. We use this for our emotions a lot. So, uh, when we talk about, we use the metaphor of feeling when we talk about our emotions. Now, there might be something internally that goes on that we actually feel kind of physically inside of us when we, when we feel or experience an emotion, but the language of feeling is actually touching with our fingers or with, uh, with something physical. We, but we say, we say, we use the words, I feel sad or I feel angry or I feel happy. Now, can you touch happy or sad? The answer is no, but we assign the verb feel to express what emotion we're currently experiencing. We have the same situation here in this text, in this text where Jesus opens the eyes of a man who was born blind. He's giving sight to someone physically born blind, but then... The remainder of the passage, that's sort of this introduction. Jesus does this thing physically. He heals this man physically. But then the rest of the passage is about a different kind of sight. 
Sight not given through physical transferring of light energy into electrical energy, sending things to your brain and, and observing the world around you, but a spiritual sight that the eyes of the heart are then open to. So there's a lot here. So I read, I read a lot of um, verses, 41 of them, and, and so there's a lot here. So I want to dive right in and make a handful of observations this morning for us out of this text uh, that will help us see the type of spiritual sight that God grants to us in Christ. So, first thing. The first thing I want you to see is the teaching that Jesus gives us about the man's blindness. The teaching that Jesus gives us about the man's blindness. Now, this is right away at the beginning of the passage. If you look at the question, so he passes by, he sees a man born, or, uh, born blind. And his disciples immediately pose this question, assuming they've, they've encountered this man before um, and knew that he was born blind. They immediately pose this question to him. They say, teacher or rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the, what's cool about this is that Jesus is already going to open their eyes to a spiritual reality here. He's already going to open the, 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 the eyes of his disciples to a spiritual reality because they have been conditioned um, according to their traditions and customs that if there was a disability, that it was because of the sin of the individual or the sin of the parent that was inherited by their children. The disciples are, therefore, unable to see anything other than these two options. They set this up. Who sinned? One, this man, or two, his parents. Which one is it? Now, remember back in Luke's Gospel, when we were, we were in Luke's Gospel for Advent, and when we explored, I think it was the first, maybe the second week in Advent, when we explored Zechariah the priest and Elizabeth, his wife. They're the parents of John the Baptist. Um, Elizabeth was unable to have children. You'll remember that they, she was barren. She was infertile. And as a result, um, many people in their community would have assumed that it was because of her sin that that was the case for her. But we're told, according to the text, that that's not the case. When the angel tells Zechariah that Elizabeth will bear a son, Elizabeth rejoices because she says that the Lord has taken away her reproach. He's, he's made it so that the opinion or uh, the understanding of her current situation was changed. But we're told in the text that both Zechariah and Elizabeth, there were a couple who were upright in their community. They walked according to God's law. They lived lives of righteousness. God takes away their reproach. But it's not because of their sin or the sin of their parents that they're unable to bear children. That's the same thing that's going on here in this text. So what the disciples do is they kind of engage in this logical fallacy called a false dilemma, where they just have two options, and then they, say, they, they draw an inference that there are two options based on a, a conclusion. There, here's a man born blind, so either his parents or he sinned. But Jesus says, it's actually neither. This, you've incorrectly limited the options for what's going on. 
Those aren't the only two options, Jesus tells them. So what Jesus does is he opens the eyes of the disciples here immediately to a spiritual reality. He opens the eyes of the disciples to a third option and to the truth. He says, Jesus answered, look at verse 3. It was not that this man sinned or his parents. So those two options are off the table. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. So what Jesus is saying is that this man was born blind so that what unfolds here in John chapter 9 could take place. Jesus says that this man was born blind so that what unfolds here in God's word could take place. Now, sometimes we object. We say, well, that, that's pretty cruel that God would allow this man to be born blind just to make a point about who he is. That's not at all cruel because we have to understand why we were created. Why, as creatures, were we created? We were created in the image of God to bear witness about God. We were created in God's image to bear witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our lives are designed for that very purpose. Everything that you are and everything that you have is designed to make much of Jesus. Everything down to the functioning of your organs in your body. Every little thing, every moment, everything physically and spiritually that is true about you is designed to bear witness about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Consider this with me, because you know that your, your body doesn't function the way that it's supposed to all of the time. It doesn't always function properly. Maybe you have dietary allergies, or maybe your ears don't hear all that well. Maybe your knees ache. Maybe your cells mutate and become cancerous. This is part of the curse of sin in our world. The reality that, uh, that sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and that disease and sickness has gripped our world. But for his children, for those who are in Christ, God is not going to waste this. God is not going to waste this. God is not going to waste the man who was born blind. He was not going to waste this instance. It will be used every physical body issue that doesn't function properly, God isn't going to waste it. He's going to use it for your good and for his glory, not just sometimes, but every time. Not just sometime, but every time. And there are many ways that this can happen. God may choose to heal you physically. And I bet many of you in this room have had experiences like this, where you know someone who is suffering dramatically and where the, God turned it around in an instant, and the doctor said, we can't explain this. Something happened. God may choose to heal you from muscle pain, anything from muscle pain to cancer. And your testimony, like the man born blind, will bring God glory, putting God's work on display. And if in this life, your body doesn't function properly, and your body decays and breaks down and dies, you will bring God glory. 
in eternity with a perfectly healthy body given to you, raised on the last day. A body that's not subject to decay, not subject to dietary problems, not subject to respiratory illnesses or cancer. That's a guarantee that the resurrection of Christ makes for us. That the works of God might be put on display in us. The very resurrection of Christ borne witness by, by our own resurrection on the last day. That new physical body will put the works of God on display for all of eternity. Through Jesus' sacrifice and only through him does that glorious reality belong to you. Because in eternity you will recall when sin devastated all of creation, disease and death and your body wasted away, and then the power of God, the works of God, undid it at Calvary and sealed it when Jesus walked out of the tomb. There is no, friends, there is no need to object when our bodies break down and when God allows our physical bodies to experience pain, when they don't quite work the way that they're supposed to. Because just like the man born blind, our bodies will in one way or another display the works of God. In your pain, in your frustration over things not working the way they should, it is not permanent and it is not for nothing. Let me say that again. Whatever you're experiencing right now in your physical body is not permanent and it's not for nothing. So that's the first thing I want you to see, that false dilemma that they pose, that the disciples pose. But then the second thing to note is a continued division, a, a division that exists among the Pharisees and the Jews and those who are standing apart from Jesus, those who are not following him. Look at verse 16 with me. Right at the end of that verse, it just says it very plainly. This is not the first time that John has mentioned this, by the way. And there was a division among them. So up until this point, look at how much confusion there seems to be. Look at beginning in verse 8. Those who are outside of the group of the disciples who watched Jesus heal this man, um, the neighbors, the neighbors, his neighbors, those who lived next to him, I guess, and those who had seen him before the beggar, or before, seen him before as a beggar, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? So, and then there's some back and forth here. Is it he? No, but it's like him. And then he's, he clears it up. He says, I'm the man. And then they ask him, what happened? And he tells them that Jesus healed him. They said, this is what happened. He spit in some mud and rubbed it on my eyes, which is a strange detail in the story, one that we don't really fully understand, but it's there. This is how Jesus chose to do this. And then they ask him in verse 12, where is he? And the man who got healed says, I don't know. I don't know where he is. So they take him to the Pharisees, his neighbors apparently, take him to the Pharisees, who, uh, and, and, uh, and the Pharisees say, how can Jesus be from God? He worked on the Sabbath. He broke the law. And that made Jesus a sinner in their eyes. And now Jesus isn't a sinner. He's interpreting Scripture properly. He's understanding the Sabbath properly. Um, the, the Pharisees are the ones with the poor understanding. But they think that Jesus has broken the law. And so how, how could he heal someone? How could he do 
works of God, how could he be in tune with God the Father if he is someone who's law-breaking? How could he do these signs? And then others ask, just on the flip side, how could a man who is a sinner do such things? How can he do such signs? And that becomes the source of the division for them. The division occurs because of the very spiritual thing that Jesus is addressing here. Spiritual blindness. Some Pharisees think that Jesus is a sinner. Others don't. But notice that the truth is not known in either instance. The truth is not known in either instance. None of these groups has eyes that are able to see Jesus for he truly is. At least not at this moment. They don't know who Jesus is. Their eyes have not been opened to the reality of who Jesus is. There's just a bunch of conjecture right now. Friends, there can be no unity where truth is not known. There can be no unity, according to Scripture, there can be no unity where truth is not known. The, the, the Jews then go and question the man's parents. They're in search of the truth, kind of. But then we learn in the parentheses here in verse 22 that his parents said these things. They kind of respond in the way that they do. They're like, why don't you go ask him? He's old enough. And, and, they, uh, and, and, and because they're afraid. It says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews for being uh, the, they feared the Jews for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to, to be the Christ he was uh, he was to be put out of the, the synagogue so they're going to kick him out of the synagogue if they confess that Jesus was the Christ and they say yeah Jesus healed him and he's the Christ then they'd be like get out and that's what, exactly what they do to the man in verse thirty the verse thirty four so the, they question the man's parents the parents answer out of fear because they know uh, what it is to claim that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they just kind of kick the can down the road and say, our son is old enough, go ahead and ask him. The confusion multiplies here, and the division multiplies, though, because the Jews aren't really seeking the truth ultimately. They're just trying to continually trap Jesus. And they tip their hand there in verse 24. Because they set up the conversation, the second conversation with the man born blind, by saying, we know that this man is a sinner. They tip their hand here. The Jews don't want to know their tr the truth. They don't acknowledge Jesus as the light of the world. They cannot experience the freedom that Jesus talks about at the end of John chapter 8. The freedom that comes through knowing truth that only comes from Jesus. This division continues to escalate. Jesus continues to reveal more about who he is. He continues to make statements about why he came, about to whom he came. And those who are blind to it can't make sense of who he is or are downright, in this case, hostile to him. They can be nothing but divided. As Christians, we need to know and to, be, to understand that unity cannot be had where truth is not known. Unity cannot be had where truth is not known. I think if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of thinking that if we don't make truth, this is what the world does, if we don't make any claims about what truth is, then we'll have unity. If we don't say, 
if we don't say anything about the truth and reality, then no one's going to get angry or upset with us and come after us and say, you're wrong. This is an error that sometimes we as Christians fall into, where we believe that, well, I don't want to push this issue with this person because I don't want it to get awkward or to have a division with this individual. But we have to understand that unity cannot be had where truth is not known. We live in a world where people believe that truth is, is relative, that it's, it's unique to themselves, but it's not. That's false. You may hear, what's true for you is not true for me, but that can never be true. That's an absolute truth claim, by the way. And Jesus is the only way to know objective, absolute truth. But for those who think truth is relative, they think that you can be united based on something outside of truth. The trap that we can fall into is to believe that we can be united in some way with a world that denies that Jesus is the Christ, or denies that Jesus is God, or does not uphold that, or, or upholds that the Bible is God's word, and so on and so forth. We can't be united with a group of people who reject truth as we know it, and it is communicated in Scripture. Jesus knew that as a source of truth, he would, he himself, would cause division. Matthew 10, 34 through 36, you know this passage. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus knew the effect that he would have is to cause people to be divided when, when truth was not agreed upon. And the division would be between those who had their eyes open to spiritual realities and those who were blind to those spiritual realities. So friends, as we as the church, those who confess that Jesus is the Christ, we are the only ones who can experience true unity. If God... If you're in Christ, God has opened your eyes, to spir your, your spiritual eyes, to see Jesus and to trust Him fully. Not because of what we've done, not because of anything that's in us, not, but because of His sovereign choosing of us before the foundation of the world. Not because we were lovely, but because of the great love with which He loved us. Therefore, we should not be proud we should praise God, and we should freely offer truth to everyone. We should not shy away from difficult conversations, we should, but we should say openly, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the only way to have eternal life, Jesus is the only way to have intimate relationship with God the Father. There is no other, and we cannot know or experience truth outside of the person of Jesus Christ. We should pray that God would open their eyes and that we would be rid of spiritual blindness to sp see spiritual reality, a spiritual reality that Jesus is the only way to have any of those things I just listed. The world has no grounds for unity. 
If you take Jesus Christ out of the equation, the world has no... We can have harmony. We can have similar affinities. I can like to fish, and um, I like football, and we can have a good time together watching the Super Bowl. But affinity isn't unity. The world can get along, or not, or have harmony, or not. But the only way to have unity is to know truth. And Jesus Christ is the only way to know truth. So we see here a continued division among those who reject Jesus, reject what he says about who he is and what he came to do. The third thing I want you to note here in this text is a progressive revelation. Now, progressive revelation is a term I've shared with you before, and it just means that usually we're talking about all of Scripture when we talk about progressive revelation, but that God is continually over time in Scripture revealing more and more of what's true about himself. So from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, there's this continued progress of God revealing more of himself to us. And now, as those who live on this side of Jesus coming into the world, um, in, the, in the church, we understand and know that God has revealed everything that he intends to reveal to us about who he is. So there was a progress made in the revelation of himself from Genesis 1 through the end of your Bible, Revelation 22, and now we live in light of everything that God has said and intends to say about himself in our world. So, but there's progress here. God builds a full view of who he is over time. And after the New Testament was written, God has fully revealed to us who he is. There's nothing more to add right now, which is why we're warned, even at the end of the book of Revelation, not to add anything additional. The 66 books of the Bible that sit on your lap this morning are the 66 books where God reveals himself to us. And there's nothing more about his designs or plans or person that he needs to share with us at this juncture. Jesus does this in sort of a microcosm here. He, he does a little bit of progressive revelation himself, although in a much shorter time frame. He heals the man. This is curious part of this text, and this should cause some alarms to go off in our mind. He heals this man. Um, he, he heals the man who, who has been born blind, and then he goes on his way. He just leaves him. That's curious because Jesus doesn't give this man he healed more information about himself or really anything. The man knows that his name is Jesus, but uh, through this, these, these series of questions that he gets from the Pharisees, that's kind of it. That's all he knows. But right at the end of the chapter, Jesus finds the man after he's been kicked out of the synagogue, right? The Pharisees pull this on him and just slander him and kick him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus hears that they kicked him out. And so then he shows up and he just says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's like, who's that? He's like, and who is he? It, show him to me so I can believe in him. I, that, who is he, sir, so that I may believe in him? The man has no idea who Jesus is. That's, that's it's kind of strange. Like why did Jesus not just say, hey, uh, the man who healed you today, I'm the Christ, and, and I've come to save the world from sin? 
the man truly believes in Jesus here. He's given physical sight in verse 7. But now, at the end, after he's endured all of this questioning from his neighbors and from the Jews and from the Pharisees, now he's given spiritual sight. Friends, I think what we should learn from this is that God doesn't give spiritual sight in our timing, but in his. God doesn't give spiritual sight in our timing, but in his. Think about your own testimony. Think about your own conversion, how you came to know Jesus Christ. When you saw your sin clearly for the first time and understood nothing other than Jesus could cover that sin, think about that. Did that, ha- did that happen in your timing? It, di- it didn't. It happened in God's. The spiritual sight the man receives comes sometime after receiving his physical sight. Why? I think the answer is this. So that there would be no question that it's Jesus who gives the spiritual sight. So that there would be no question that it's Jesus who gives the spiritual sight. So maybe you're here this morning, you've trusted Jesus, and you have the desire for a friend or a family member to come to know Jesus. And you've been praying for them and sharing the good news of the gospel with them regularly. And you think to yourself, they're so close to believing, and yet they're so far from the truth. They haven't repented. They haven't believed. They've yet to follow Jesus. The encouragement here is don't don't give up. Keep praying. Keep pressing in with the gospel because God's timing is different than ours. We would have it now. But Jesus reveals himself to the man born blind over time. And he may do the same for your unbelieving loved ones and friends. So as we wrap up, these three thoughts, these three ideas that come to us in this text, there's a lot here. But Jesus gives us the takeaway right there in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now there's a little bit of wordplay going on here. Jesus is looking at the, those who have eye, physical sight, and those who are blind physically. And he heals, and so he gives physical sight to those who are blind. But then he's also talking about the spiritual sight that he brings, and that's evidence to us in verse 40 and 41, when the Pharisees ask him, are we blind also? And Jesus says to them, this is the judgment component, that Jesus says to them, You are experiencing and interacting with the very Son of God, God incarnate, the Word of God who took on flesh, and you are rejecting it out of hand and displaying your spiritual blindness. Jesus reveals himself more and more fully throughout John's Gospel, and people are given spiritual sight to see who he truly is, like the man who was born blind, or they double down in their spiritual blindness and actively deny the truth of who Jesus is and why he came into the world. So what we learn here is that what we think and believe about Jesus reveals what we believe and think about everything. What we think and believe about Jesus reveals what we think and believe about everything. What we think about Jesus reveals if we are spiritually blind or if we have spiritual sight. Those who believe Jesus is who he says he is have spiritual sight. 
Those who deny that Jesus is who he says he is are spiritually blind. Those who deny that Jesus is God are spiritually blind. Those include people who package themselves like Christians, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses, even Oneness Pentecostals. There are groups of people who deny that Jesus is God and therefore live in spiritual blindness. But Jesus, over and over and over again in Scripture, claims to be God. And those who have spiritual sight see it and receive it as truth. Those who deny that Jesus is Lord and King are spiritually blind. Those who deny that Jesus is Lord and King are spiritually blind. Those who deny that Jesus has rightful claim over everything in all of creation are spiritually blind. Those who live like Jesus does not matter or is powerless or lacks authority have yet to have their eyes open to who Jesus is. Those who have spiritual sight are continually bringing their lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ, under his authority. And they're continually exploring God's word and living in light of what he commands there. Those who deny that Jesus is the only way to have relationship with God the Father are spiritually blind. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. This is what he says. Not having Abraham as father, not keeping the law, not good works, only Jesus. So, what we think and believe about Jesus reveals what we think and believe about everything. The second thing that I want you to take away this morning is this. Jesus gives spiritual sight and is worthy of worship. Now, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. But the result of Jesus giving spiritual sight is that he is worthy of worship because there's no one else who can do that. And if you're here this morning and you want to know God, the truth is you need to see Jesus for who he truly is and who he says he is, eternal and unchanging, the agency of all of creation. He is God and him is life. He is all satisfying, the only Savior and King and Lord. And notice the man's response in our text this morning when he receives spiritual sight. He just simply says, Lord, I believe. And what does he do? He worships him. He worships him. And Jesus doesn't stop him. This is the rightful response. His eyes were open to see Jesus for he tru who, tru who truly is. He says, I believe, and he worships. It's only Jesus who can give spiritual sight. And if he's the only one who can bring us out of darkness into light, and if he's the only one who can shed or whose shed blood can pay for our sin, and if he's the only one who can absorb the wrath of God on our behalf, and if he's the only one who can bring us into relationship with God the Father, and if he's the only one who can guarantee that we will have life for all eternity, it would be absolutely wrong for us to do anything other than worship him. And that's exactly what the man does here. So I'm going to pray, and then the worship we're going to worship him together. Um, consider the words. The last song we're going to sing is, All I Have is Christ. And consider the spiritual sight that was given to this man who was born blind. The power of God on display in him to give him physical sight, but then the power of God on display in him to give him spiritual sight as well. And consider the spiritual sight given to you, and even revealed in the words, the truth that we're going to sing 
together. First, let me pray, and then we'll worship together. God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you for the truth that it reveals about who you are. God, we ask now that you would continue to show us the person of Jesus Christ as he reveals himself through his spirit more fully to us. God, would we trust him more? God, would we trust him with all of our lives? God, would we desire to, to respond rightly through worship, not just in this moment, but with all of our lives? God, would our lives pay tribute and demonstrate the infinite worth of Jesus Christ this morning and into eternity? God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.